Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Breskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It's been a busy week, a lot of things happening, and we have our full panel to talk about it, which means Claire Zauke is with us. Claire is our Healthcare Director here at Citizen Action. Claire, good to have you. Thank you. Great to be here for Zoom still. Oh, yeah. We're, we're all Zoomed up. We'll get into the changing CDC ruling around COVID and maskings in later in the show. But first, we got to also welcome our other our other panelist, which is Robert Craig, our executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Good to be here. Greetings to our digital and our radio audience. And since we're not a foreign policy podcast, we won't discuss it, but really, uh, my heart out to uh, all of our brothers in Israel and Palestine and, and hope for a, a ceasefire very soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with that, though, we have got to get going. We have an incredibly busy show today. And uh, Claire, we're going to get started right away by talking about the big news yesterday. Again, we record Thursday morning. Uh, Governor Evers announced a special session of the state legislature around badger care expansion. And, in, and it isn't just around the expansion. Uh, he, in this special session, he actually is proposing legislation that has a specific way the money would be spent. Claire, tell our listeners more uh, about the bill, about the bill, or excuse me, about this special session uh, and uh, why this is so important and why uh, Governor Evers is doing this. Absolutely. So as we all know, the uh, state's Joint Committee on Finance, the state's budget committee in the legislature, um, took up a motion a couple weeks ago that took, uh, functionally took Badger Care out, uh, Badger Care expansion out of the state budget for at least this phase of the deliberations. Of course, we all know that they could suspend their own rules, put it back in, they can take it up during the full legislative phase. But they took that first action, right, which was um, obviously disappointing. Um, and one of the comments that some folks uh, on that committee said during that deliberation process was that they weren't totally comfortable um, voting for an amendment that Democrats um, uh, like Evan Goyke out of Milwaukee proposed that would have put expansion um, back in a, a substitute motion because they didn't know where the money was being spent. And they just like weren't comfortable uh, just passing the legislation without without that kind of detail. Um, and so now the governor, Governor Evers, has come back with legislation that says, okay, let's do the Badger Care expansion. And because we know that the American Rescue Plan gives us this one-time two-year billion dollar uh, financial incentive for passing expansion, here's a list of projects um, that we can do with that money across the state that will um, really invest in our state uh, sort of rebuilding after the pandemic and it helps set us up for success in future years. And so um, there's a lot of great things um, in this list of projects that he's proposing to spend um, this extra billion dollars on things like um, expanding broadband, um, internet access in rural areas, um, doing lead lateral replacements in urban areas, a lot of park investment projects, a um, lot of um, hospital projects. So really um, things all across the state. And um, this will be um, presented to the legislature or legislature has it before them. Um, but what the governor has said is, is that 
to call a special session forcing the legislature to take up this bill um, on a specific date. So that date is next week, Tuesday. And um, of course, we all know that the governor can force the legislature into special session on a specific topic, but that doesn't mean that the legislature um, has to do anything in that session. Um, and as we've seen before, shamefully, what often happens is that the legislature um, will gavel in and out on a specific topic um, in a matter of under a minute sometimes without doing much. But we hope that won't happen this time because uh, this bill has a lot of a lot of good stuff in it that we're hoping will be of interest to legislators in both parties around the state. So, so Robert, explain to our listeners then why, you know, obviously Claire lays out why is this so important and why should people really get, you know, respond to this? Well, the reason the Republicans took it out of the budget is because any discussion of this is damaging to them. This is publicly unpopular. It is horrendous public policy. And it is uh, basically spending a whole lot more money, this case, $1.6 billion to cover fewer people. And by the way, their defense that they have other coverage, they don't say it's Obamacare as well. It's the uh, healthcare marketplace, which was their original reason for being against Medicaid expansion. But if there's any logic at all, if you listen to them carefully, it's that the marketplace under the Affordable Care Act gives you private insurance, and this is public insurance and private insurance good. So just think about that messaging. Dealing with and haggling with big for-profit insurance companies is good. And public health insurance for people right above the poverty line, struggling to make ends meet, bad. Also not good policy or, or good public issue, but clarifies a progressive worldview. So I want to applaud Governor Evers for bringing this up because they want to make this go away because they intend for political reasons not to do it and radical ideological reasons if you believe their rationalization. Their other one is welfare, which, of course, is simply a racial dog whistle. And then in their day, trying to prevent this from damaging them in the election, keep calling, keep bringing it up, because the more they feel it might damage them in the election, that's the only thing that would change their mind. They're willing to allow people to die, that's what happens, you know, if health coverage, and to harm this, this state fiscally in a dramatic way as well, and harm working families and small businesses and others across the state, uh, simply for their, to get their way, but they're not willing to give up their seats. And this is going to be one of the top issues in the election. So they'll come back if we push them back and say it's their idea. They won't accept Governor Evers's, but we all know that if they do it, it's because of the public pressure and scrutiny and transparency. Well, folks, we are really fortunate. We are joined. We have our first guest. We're going to we're going to be joined by someone who has been deep in this fight for Badger Care Expansion. That is Sean Pettiflace, and he is with the Small Business Alliance here of Wisconsin. And Sean has been, you know, knee deep in trying to help fight uh, and organize small businesses around Wisconsin. And uh, they have been urging, urging the state legislature to support this. Sean, thanks so much for joining us to talk about uh, why this is so important to small businesses. Thanks for having me here. So, Sean, right, you, you all in, at the uh, Small Business Alliance have been uh, talking to state legislators about 
uh, expanding Badger Care and why this is actually critical to improving our economy and is actually one of the more important things that small businesses are looking for. Uh, tell us more about, about that. Well, cool. And we are an alliance of small businesses, but our name is Main Street Alliance. Um, we're new to the state, so um, we'll, uh, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you having us on. Uh, so one thing I keep hearing as I'm talking to small business owners across the state is that um, they need help with healthcare. You know, there are a lot of employers out there who are smaller, where group coverage is really tough, and where their employees, maybe they work part-time, maybe they work in entry-level positions, maybe they have had to take time off to deal with childcare, and they would be eligible under the expansion to get that coverage. But unfortunately, you have folks that have been actively blocking those efforts. Um, and we believe that Badger Care expansion is good for business. It's good in terms of making sure there's a healthy workforce. It's good in terms of entrepreneurship. Often new business owners who are just getting started don't pay themselves a whole heck of a lot because they can't um, in order to get things going and have the cash flow necessary to run a sustainable business. And so many of them would qualify under the expansion who currently are not eligible. And, you know, for me personally, um, you know, looking at this issue, it's an issue of equity, it's an issue of justice, but it's also an issue of if you're literally disincentivizing people from working more because they are worried about losing their better health insurance, that doesn't even sound like a particularly conservative view of what they would consider to be conservative. Um, and so for, for us, it's really about how do we fill in those holes? And to Robert's point about they're not being a quote coverage gap. Badger care is better coverage uh, than many of the plans within the exchange. Doesn't mean the exchanges are bad plans, but if you are making $17,000 a year, you can't necessarily afford a bunch of co-pays or deductible. And so having Badger care fully funded, having it be expanded is really important for small business in our state. Yeah, no, and, and you bring up a good point, right? this was never intended for folks to actually have to go on to the exchange. It was assumed that states would accept this money. So it's an absolutely good point that Badger Care is a much better program for folks to be on. Sean, we gotta, we gotta take our first break here, but uh, we want you to stay with us when we come back. Uh, we'll, we'll have the first question. Uh, you are listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin for Citizen Action. We are joined by Sean Pettiflis, who is with the Main Street Business Alliance of Wisconsin. And Sean, I'm sorry for uh, giving you the wrong name on the entrance, but we really appreciate you joining us. And uh, Claire, I wanted to give you the first opportunity to ask uh, Sean a question. Thanks, Sean. So I know that Main Street Alliance has been going around the state connecting with business owners and... Uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, is there like a story that sticks out in your mind about just like a really compelling example of why small business owners or a particular small business owner is affected by or has been affected by why they care about care expansion? Yeah, I'll just use one example. Um, so Joella, who's a member of ours up in La Crosse, um, uh, she uh, owns a business called Old Town Strings uh, in La Crosse on the north side. 
And um, that business has suffered a lot during the pandemic. Uh, they've seen, you know, there's not a lot of recitals, not a lot of live music that's been happening with the last year. And so they've seen a real drop off in sales. Um, they, it's, uh, she's a mom. Uh, she has a couple kids and one of whom uh, is autistic. And so has been homeschooling um, her child up to this point because there wasn't accommodations made properly by the school district. Her family's on Badger Care. Um, they're right now, like she is in a position where um, if she wanted to work more, she can't because uh, she would lose the health coverage for her entire family, right? And so, I mean, I think that that's one example of somebody that, you know, I think there's sometimes this idea and this is perpetuated by people like Robin Voss who equated Badger Care to welfare that there's a stereotype of the 80s welfare queen that Reagan, you know, used so much. And they're trying to basically other folks who are on Badger Care. But Badger Care covers grandmas. It covers, uh, you know, folks who are small business owners. It covers people who uh, do really important work in our state. And so I would say, you know, that's one uh, situation that kind of sticks out to me. I would say one other is um, there's a brewery in Green Bay where they provide group coverage and they cover half the cost, which is better than what most employers do. Uh, they're a little bit bigger, so they can do group coverage. Um, but one of their employees uh, couldn't pay the difference. They didn't communicate that at the time. And so ended up actually having a series of epileptic seizures because they did not have insurance to take care of their condition. They ended up covering the, the difference and making sure that person was fully covered once they discovered that issue. But nobody should have to go through that. Nobody should have to experience that. And, you know, that person would have likely been eligible under the expansion. So um, this is an important issue, not just for families, but also for business owners and their employees as well. I think you make a really important point that gets lost in the Badger Care expansion debate a lot, um, which is the Badger Care expansion um, population is almost by default a working and hardworking population of people, right? And very often these are people who want to work more and like would take on more hours or more clients or whatever the case is, but just can't afford to because they would lose their health coverage, right? And, and I'm so glad that you help amplify that perspective because um, we really need to be fighting back against um, this, this narrative that paints a damaging picture of, of folks who actually are hardworking uh, members of our community. So... What Sean is talking about is extremely important because there's this assumption among Republicans who don't really wanna guarantee access to affordable healthcare. They don't, they want the issue to go away that you just look, you have this solid block of people that are uninsured or underinsured and they're on their people who are unworthy somehow, you're on welfare, you should be getting a job that has health benefits, whether you uh, can find a job with a small business because uh, small that has it because small businesses are priced out of health insurance in a terrible way. We've not fixed that problem, let alone the big exploitive corporations like McDonald's or Walmart. Um, and so the truth is that who has no insurance or who can't afford their insurance changes dramatically all the time. People's economic conditions change. We're the only country on earth where if your economic conditions change for the worse, you lose access to your healthcare, any only rich country. 
And so that is the problem that it greatly increases everyone's security. When you hear Senator Ron Johnson say, well, there are so many, so few people that are uninsured. Remember, it's an insurance policy for everyone. If you but if you if you're a farmer and you're and you, and you basically can't produce income part of the year, a lot of farmers are in Badger Care. If you need to take time off to take care for a sick parent or a, a, a sick child, maybe to write your dream book or do your dream something, right? Because you don't people don't really have paid leave where they could build up the paid leave for it mostly. Then you have that health insurance umbrella. Whatever happens, often when people get. Uh, deadly disease diagnoses, they lose their jobs and they lose their health insurance in the middle of treatment. That doesn't happen um, if you uh, if you guarantee health care to everyone at a certain income level and make it affordable. And the best way to do that is badger care and it costs less money and they don't want to face up to it. And they're just hoping that the public won't notice. So keep it up, everyone. Sean, I think there's, if you listen to the coded rhetoric of your Robin Vosses, your Mark Bourne, the Assembly Joint Finance Committee Chair, that this is all welfare and we don't expand welfare. What that tends to mean in a coded way is it means people other than us and it often means black and brown people are very irresponsible white people who are also othered. Uh, and of course it doesn't, but there's a sense therefore that it's more urban. I assume, Sean, but you can tell us this is in every, this is all over the state. And in fact, a lot of folks in rural areas, they lack a big employer that would provide them any kind of health benefit but, uh, because the small employers simply are priced out of the market. It's not even the small employer's fault necessarily. Polling shows that most small businesses want to provide coverage because they lose good employees when they can't and they want to provide their employees. They just can't and make a go of it because of the price. So is it your sense this is all over the state that, and in all these Republican districts, they have lots of folks that are harming with this policy. That's right. Um, there are a tremendous amount of folks who would qualify through expansion in Dale Coinga's district, uh, Howard Markline's district, uh, Mary Falskowski's district and all across the state. Um, and you're exactly right that this is an attempt to try to delegitimize and sort of other folks who need these programs. And the fact of the matter is, is as you said, you know, people who need this, uh, these programs change all the time. Um, you know, Badger Care was done while we had the governor of Tommy Thompson with the legislature. This is an, a program that has really enjoyed robust bipartisan support in the past. But frankly, because Scott Walker wanted to run for president and Robin Voss has held the line on this issue ever since because of a pure power play and not because it's good policy. Uh, those folks in those Republican districts haven't gotten help. Um, you know, their representatives have turned their backs on them. And I'll just use one very quick example. Uh, recently met with Dale Kuinga. Uh, Kuinga, maybe a month or two ago, put out a article basically saying the pros and cons of expansion and seemed to indicate that he would be at least open to the idea of doing it. Recently met with him, with Becky and with... Um, uh, one of our, uh, Julian, uh, two local members of ours in that area. And he expressed that, you know, he's on board. He, he thinks Medicaid expansion uh, is a good idea, that it should happen. Uh, he was actually more robust in his, our conversation with him about it than I expected, frankly, um, but then passed the buck and said, oh, well, you know, these other members of the state Senate, you know, we really need to get their support. Well, you know, Dale, you can do something too. You can be more vocal, you can push your caucus, you can talk in public uh, about why this is important instead of just with means with constituents. And so we're actually gonna be holding an event um, 
right off his district uh, tomorrow in Milwaukee with uh, representatives uh, Goyke, Neubauer, um, Rodriguez, um, and Raymer uh, to talk about that with, at uh, Kegel's Inn at 11 a.m. So if any of your members would love to join us to talk about the importance of small business and the importance of Badger Care expansion, we'd love to see you there. But we really do need more leadership on this issue from those Republicans that might be willing to say one thing behind closed doors in private, but uh, haven't been willing to really do anything in public. Well, Sean, first of all, the leadership of your organization has been outstanding on this issue. Um, let our listeners know if they want to get more involved or find out more uh, how they can get in touch with you and potentially get more involved with your organization. Yeah, um, we take folks, not even folks that aren't small business owners themselves, and it's MainStreetAlliance.org. Uh, you can sign up as a member there. You can also click the Take Action tab. Uh, we are working really hard at the federal level to get the American Families Plan done as well. And so if folks want to take action in support of uh, federal paid leave and um, investments in child care, that would be a good way to get started. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Also want to just let our listeners know, like give you guys a shout out. You all were also out this week out front on pushing back against uh, the Republicans effort to, to, to not accept the $300 a week extra payments for unemployment and uh, just great work on what you're all doing and really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us today uh, here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Thanks so much, Sean. Well, thanks and keep up the fight. We will have Sean on again sometime down the road because they're all they're just doing amazing work. But we got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Joanna Bouch here from Citizen Action, our movement politics director, to tell us about an exciting new podcast that she's going to be a part of here at Citizen Action that's going to launch next week. But we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're real fortunate to be joined by Joanna Bouch. Joanna is our movement politics director here at Citizen Action. Joanna, thanks for joining us. I know you're on vacation this week. Yes. Hey, y'all. Good to be here on the Battleground, Wisconsin podcast. Um, yes, I am on vacation this week. I just bought a house on Monday. Super excited. So doing all the painting and moving. I got paint in my hair. It's wild. Well, congratulations. And the reason we uh, dragged you on the show on your vacation isn't because we needed you as a guest panelist and you've been on here before, uh, but you're launching a new podcast next week with uh, fellow Citizen Action organizer, Raphael Smith. Um, but tell us more about it. Uh, it is yeah. uh, uh, Break the news. Tell us, first of all, tell us what it's called and then tell us about the show. Yes. So super, super excited to launch the This Is Not That podcast sponsored by Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Um, yeah, Raphael Smith and I, y'all know Rafi. He's been on the show a couple of times, our climate and equity director. We've been having this conversation about, um, you know, what's going on in our communities for a long time. And we kind of threw it around like a couple of times, like, oh, it would be cool if we had a podcast just to like, uh, you know, record the banter that we have, you know, just about politics and, you know, public safety, you know, the police brutality we've been seeing. Um, 
And then the idea grew even larger with this like trio combination of a team. We're bringing on Isaiah Holmes from the Wisconsin Examiner, local journalist. Um, and it's going to be the three of us talking about what's going on in Milwaukee, right? From the perspective of these young people of color, right? All three of us are Milwaukee natives, born and raised, Rafi. Uh, born and raised on, um, on Milwaukee's north side. I grew up here on the south side of Milwaukee. Um, and, and Isaiah too, he has his, an interesting perspective of attending Wauwatosa East High School, right? He's a journalist, he's on the ground. He's been seeing a lot of what our community has been facing, um, you know, head on. And it's really stemmed from, um, you know, the idea of the podcast really stemmed from the, the harm we've been seeing in our communities, specifically from, you know, police brutality, right? Um, and so we're super excited to launch the podcast next week, Tuesday, which is the one year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd. Um, and we really wanted it, we, we, we chose that day intentionally um, because that's gonna kind of be the center of our discussion, right? Communities of color experiencing, um, really these attacks by by the very people right the by the very um infrastructure that we are are supposed to that's supposed to be keeping us safe um and so we're going to be talking about a, a a whole list of topics between between public safety safety like i said local politics um really just kind of getting all of our unique perspectives of what it's like to grow up here in milwaukee well, I'll say that as a Milwaukeean, I'm excited about this. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me, I have two little quick questions I thought maybe you could combine together, which is one, can you tell us about the name, This Is Not That? Where does that come from? What does it mean to you? And two, um, can you give us a sneak peek of what you think one of your first topics of conversation is, is going to be about, just so that we can get excited to listen to your first episode? Yeah, of course. So actually the first show, because we're launching on the one year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd, we're really going to center it around that, right? So uh, we'll obviously talk about who we are and kind of do like an intro to all of us and like our unique perspectives and, and where we fit in this movement that we're seeing across the country, not just here in Milwaukee, but across the country. Um, and then um, really like talk about like where we were when the George Floyd murder happened, right? I know Rafi and I both have interesting stories of, um, where we, it was the first time we saw this like harm against our black and brown communities. And we felt like we were both in positions of power, right? We're both directors and we, and we had never been directors in a, in a nonprofit social justice organization before when we saw this type of attack on our community, right? And so it's our experience of, of having that kind of power and how did we put it into action? Um, I was running for office at the time, right? And so we're really just gonna talk about like where we were when all this was going down. Um, also, I, I think it's next week, uh, the 29th is, is the one year anniversary of the protest that started here in Milwaukee that we saw um, in response to the murder of George Floyd. So we're going to talk about that, like what we were doing when, when the protest started, how we participated, where we fit in. Um, and then the, the this is not that name. You know, Rock, let me give credit to Rafi. He's the one who came up with that. So I got to give shout out to Rafi. Uh, we were all like, what are we going to be called? What should we call this podcast? Like completely stumped. Um, and Rafi came up with that. This is not that. And it really comes from, you know, we have, we have the news, right? We have people talking about these incidents um, that are going around, going on, um, you know, not just in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin, but across this country. Um, 
about, you know, the harm communities of color are seeing, right? But it's from that perspective of mainstream media, right? Fox News, right? <clears throat> and so this is going to be a chance for just some, you know, regular people, some folk, you know, regular people of color that live here that are working in the movement and giving our spin on it, right? So it's this meaning like we're talking about this from this that you see on the news, this that you see in your media, but it's not that, right? Because we're giving our own perspectives. We're going to give our own spin on it um, as just people of color that have been organizing for a long time. Uh, Isaiah with the perspective of being a journalist, like really, you know, getting down and, and getting down and dirty with the facts. You know, he's done a lot of um, really, he's written a lot of great articles um, on what's been going on in Wauwatosa. And, you know, he's done a lot of research into the Wauwatosa Police Department. And we're, so we're going to be using all of those real facts to drive our conversation. So it's this what you see out there in the world, but it's not that. So this is not that. I hope I did a good explanation. We'll have to get Rafi on here to talk about it too. But um, just really want to focus on how we're talking about the mainstream media topics, right? But we're not talking about it how you hear the way they talk about it. Well, Joanna, I actually think that was a very clear explanation. And we have had Isaiah, we've had Isaiah on the show a number of times. So our listeners are very familiar with his outstanding work. Um, this is super exciting, folks. Next Tuesday, give this is yes. not that a listen, right? Please yeah. give it a listen. And Joanna, we want to thank you for taking the time on your vacation to come on the show and just of give course. everyone a heads up. But if you guys want to hear more, listeners, you want to know more, listen next week. Find out for yourself what this is not that is about. Thank you, Joanna, for joining us on the Battleground Wisconsin. Thanks so much, y'all. So happy to have you. And yes, Battleground uh, Wisconsin podcast listeners, come listen to This Is Not That. Beautiful. Thanks, Joanna. Well, before we go to break, Robert, I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, what happened last week after the CDC, kind of out of, let's be blunt, it was a surprise, uh, decided and stated that uh, folks did not need to mask if they had been vaccinated. And this has caused, quite frankly, a caval you know, cascade of uh, folks dropping mask ordinances and, quite frankly, quite a bit of confusion, particularly as it relates to where the science is. Robert? I uh, listened to the uh, press conference live last Thursday, and I have, as many of you know, have an advanced degree in rhetoric. I immediately thought this was a disaster because they made it sound like it was Emancipation Day. They'd been under CDC great pressure to uh, moving too slowly, which they were in some areas. And they provided individual guidance to people who were vaccinated uh, without considering the policy implication. They didn't even alert other parts of the government. So there wasn't even coordination with other agencies like OSHA that governed this. Uh, and the White House and, C and the uh, coronavirus task force claimed they didn't know, uh, and Anthony Fauci said they didn't know until 90 minutes before. So this was incredibly reckless, and it led predictably to immediate openings where all the major retailers, because they have trouble forcing this anyway, are doing it. We know it's a license for the unvaccinated to take their masks off, and particularly the ones that are influenced by a, by a political movement, the modern right, that is telling them that that is connected to their freedom, 
which is we've talked about on Battleground Wisconsin, it's an adolescent view of, of, of uh, freedom. And so what's happened now, Anthony Fauci is out as of yesterday saying, well, it's been totally misinterpreted and that is unfortunate. Now he didn't cause it, but he also was at the press conference lending his authority to it. And so of course this was predictable. This was an unforced error. I asked a, uh, a, a staffer for a member of Congress, a high ranking one, are, are you all considering oversight hearings? Because that's what Congress should do when, when, it, when an agency acts this irresponsibly. And she said, we're talking about it darn right. So I hope that happens. That's a, that's a role of Congress that the Trump administration tried to end. And because, but at this point, the, the gambit, it's like a very high stakes gambit, is that this will give an incentive for more unvaccinated people to vaccinate. So I guess we'll see, but I think we really need to start creating all sorts of other incentives because they've just undone all the public safety we need to do. And experts in Wisconsin are predicting we'll go above 1% reproduction rate again in the winter because we're going indoors and because there'll be new variants that are, that are much worse by then that are dominant. And so we may get a reprieve in the summer, but vaccination rates have slowed down and we are not there yet. And, and for people who are responsible, we're not gonna be reopened in the fall if this continues. So this is very concerning and it was an unforced error. And it's shocking it came from a Biden administration that has been generally well run, except for a couple hiccups, I would say Palestinian Israeli policy, the initial border problem, and now this, which is, they've been, which is a shocking misstep. And with that, we are going to have to take a break here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Claire, I wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to comment on the CDC's lifting or saying that if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask and uh, quite a bit of confusion. Your thoughts, Claire? Yeah, I think Robert did a, a good job covering this topic. So uh, I think the only point that I really want to hammer home is what's so frustrating about this is that uh, it, this is clearly an example of some people um, who are public officials in the CDC, but but must view themselves as just um, you know scientists or people whose job it is to just sort of like report on the facts about you know the virus, like not thinking about the public policy um, implications of their actions and uh, like not connecting the fact that like they have responsibilities beyond just sharing sort of this, the, the latest scientific analyses or developments, but actually thinking through the fact that like they are public officials and they have a responsibility to think about how what they say and how they say it will translate into people's behaviors uh, on the ground in, in communities across the country. And um, I, I hope that the Biden administration will um, impress that fact upon folks at the CDC and and um, that there can be a, a sort of closer working relationship between um, people, policymakers and people who roll out uh, decisions like just saying vaccinated people don't need to wear masks. Um, and, and just like not just like throwing that out into the void because as Robert said, it kind of creates chaos. So. Um, we really, we really got to be careful about not just what we say, but uh, how we say it and think through how it will affect people's behaviors. 
Yeah, I, Claire, you're always such a good person. You give them people more benefit of the doubt sometimes than I do. I need to learn from that. But I was going to say that my interpretation is the CDC was under political pressure for a lot of silly policies like telling kids in camps they should wear masks outdoors when there's little outdoor transmission and it's not workable and that they were being armchair politicians, at least at the top of the CDC and caved and then had this sudden reversal rather than doing it gradually. And they didn't peg anything to the threat level in the community, which is what you need to do. I mean, it's the, old, the practice that comes from the CDC, from their own scientists. It's what we're gonna follow here at Citizen National Wisconsin for the safety of our staff and our members across the state. We're gonna follow, uh, have different policies based on the threat level, based on how the, the, the um, uh, virus, the uh, pandemic, excuse me, is going. And right now, red is the highest, we're in orange. We may get to yellow if things keep going, we're not to blue yet. And so that that's the CDC framework that other public health departments around <laughs> follow. They're not following it. So I really think that this was a political move, but I hope Claire's right that they were just being clueless scientists and meant well by giving us their scientific view on what fully vaccinated people could do. But the consequences have been horrendous. Major labor unions are very worried about it. The National Nurses Union, the biggest nurses union in, this, in the country has come out against it. The United Food and Commercial Workers that represents a lot of meatpacking workers, grocery workers, and um, has come out against it because it endangers their employees. And they haven't adjusted OSHA requirements in order to match it because there was no consultation with another agency of government. Um, it, so it's just unbelievable. I, it does make me begin to wonder uh, to what extent the public health infrastructure in the United States has a clear theory of communication as to how to operate it during a public health emergency. Because it's certainly looking like, and it has looked like throughout this whole pandemic, they don't, and they're kind of weighing it. It would just, from any professional communication standpoint, if you're trying to get people to be safe, what they did makes absolutely no sense. It would violate every simple rule of public communication and crisis communication that, that anyone well-versed either in academics or in practice, like in public relations or advertising or communications in the government or in, in, in electoral politics would understand. So I'm just shocked by this. There's been a, a huge wave of uh, school districts in Wisconsin now removing their mask mandates. And most kids aren't vaccinated yet or school age. And you know, there's some teachers uh, frankly, who have ADA reasons, Americans Disability Act, uh, protected reasons where a doctor says you have a health condition where it's better you not get vaccinated. And what are they saying to those not teachers and school employees other than risk your life for your job or quit? Uh, it's unbelievable that you would do this indoors for people who are not verified to be vaccinated. And let's face it, folks, most other countries are doing vaccine passports and the right has had a big tantrum on that and mainline Democrats don't wanna go there because of the adolescent view of freedom in our country, which seems to be, I can do what's convenient for me and I don't care who I harm or kill. That is not any kind of notion of freedom in conservative or liberal tradition in the United States or in any tradition I know there is responsibility that comes with freedom. And so this really stems in my opinion, I'll end with this, the whole corporate attempt to deny harms that were profitable, like lead, like cigarettes and tobacco, like global warming denial, has now infused our culture that 
you can do whatever you want, but it was really a hijacking of the whole definition of freedom and responsibilities to benefit the most powerful people in our country. And it is still happening with the fossil fuel industry and with many other industries. Yeah, I just want to say, Matt, before you jump in, I will yep. say I, I actually like think you're right the more I think about it. I think you're probably right about the tremendous political pressure on the CDC. I also want to hammer home a point that you said, which and then and then I felt strongly and that I did not articulate, which is just because this this um, new tidbit came out from the CDC about vaccinated people not needing to wear masks in public, like that should not have immediately translated into the mass rescinding of mask requirements because we are not in a place where the majority of people in Wisconsin are vaccinated. I mean, you got a place like Dane County where there's maybe 60% of people are vaccinated, but then you also got places like Washera County where 30% of people are vaccinated or a place like Milwaukee, which is the most popular county in the state and it's only in the 40s i think i mean like we are not in a place where the majority of people are vaccinated so even like you said you t or you take that fact with what you said which is transmission rates are still pretty high hence the sort of the color coding scheme that you laid out like that paired with the vaccination rates are not high like why i don't know why everybody just took that to mean like it's fine we can take away these masking requirements, I mean, like that boggles my mind and it is a hugely irresponsible and I, I feel like I use the phrase abdication of power a lot. I don't know what's like why my phrase, but it's a flipping ad, abdication of power and responsibility from these like local governments everywhere that are saying like, oh, we just like don't need these masking mandates anymore. Cause that is absolutely not the con conclusion that folks should have drawn. And let me add one thing to that. Even Dane County could run the radio in, in Madison media market is yellow, the second lowest, not blue. There's no blue county in Wisconsin. There are a number of red counties, highest threat level, as Claire was talking about, due to vaccination rates, and quite frankly, because of the right-wing effort by politicians and media figures to profit from exposing people to a deadly virus. And by the way, worldwide, we're at records right now. And we're not thinking about that and all the variants being created. We're 17 months into a pandemic and we're still hitting records. We know what to do. We're not doing it. It's becoming very much like climate change. Well, we know what to do, have to do it. We're not doing it as a society. Same thing with this pandemic. Yeah, I'll just, I mean, I, it's, it doesn't surprise me. I, I agree this was a, a particular PR problem, but a, really a political problem. The minute you took and gave people the idea that somehow it was okay to remove the masks, there had already been immense pressure on local school boards, local governments, in the middle of the pandemic, like in the heated part of the pandemic on these kinds of issues. So um, again, local governments were put under immense pressure this week and will continue to be uh, to, to remove these mandates. Uh, but before we go, I just wanted to get out there and a further comment, uh, give each of you an opportunity, just brief comment on what went on in the legislature this week where the Republicans uh, are attempting to remove $300 weekly extra payments for unemployment insurance uh, that the federal government, right, has agreed, you know, uh, has approved. It's just shocking, but it's not when you think about they want to try to push more folks into low-wage jobs. <laughs> just say quick, it's a big lie that people are not working because they get decent health and care, um, unemployment benefits. The Republicans in this state now with a bill 
want to take it away, both get rid of the the bonus people are getting and cut everyone else off who's in a gig economy, who's self-employed. Remember what was done was a lot of people who don't usually get unemployment insurance have been getting it under the pandemic, which is great policy. But we know this, we know that they're not paying enough and they think they have a right to poorly paid employees and they do not. It's a market. And they go whining to the right-wing politicians and establishment Democratic politicians, some of them, the more moderate ones, and they listen. And in fact, there's a great story nationally this week that is a, a, an ice cream place in Pittsburgh that started paying 15, doubled from the minimum wage to 15, and they had 1,000 applicants for 15 slots and filled them in an hour. So if you pay workers a living wage, and 15 is not a princely wage, you will get employees, everyone, but they want us to force people back to work when it's unsafe, very much like the 19th century, you had to take poverty wage jobs that would kill you because otherwise you starve to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's appalling. Claire, I, I think on that, we're actually out of time, I believe, on this podcast. That was a fitting ending. I apologize. <laughs> no, it is quite all right, Robert. Look, this is appalling move by the Republicans. Uh, and obviously, Evers, let's hope, let's make sure Evers vetoes it but with that we got to wrap up this battleground wisconsin podcast we want to thank our guests for joining us but we got to go we'll see you next week everybody here at the battleground wisconsin